We give you our hearts, we give you our worship, we give you our lives, and we just say, have your way in us. Father, just just do what we can't do, which is everything. Father, we just love you and thank you. And, and Father, I just pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive tonight. Lord, let your word permeate, your revelation, your understanding Uh, Father, your will to just permeate our hearts and lives tonight, not only in here, but the children, the youth, Father. I just thank you for good ground that receives your good word, Father, and it grows up a good harvest in our lives and in the lives of others. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, if, if we're getting a good harvest, you know, when Mitchell, where's Mitchell? He must be out in the hallway. But when Mitchell gets those good harvests of those tomatoes and squash and all that other stuff he raises, he shares it. That harvest not only blesses him, but it blesses others around. And that's what a harvest does. And so it's not just for us, but it blesses us, and then it blesses others as well. Tonight, um, we're talking about another discipline. In the, yeah, I was talking about you. <laughs> I was talking about you. You're a good harvest you're getting. At that funeral, we ate at City Market together with some of the family, and there was a lady there that she and her husband, two of them actually, they have gardens. One lives in Colorado, one lives in San Antonio. And it sounds like the one in Colorado really has. She grows asparagus. She says it takes like seven years for the asparagus plant to start something. She grows strawberries, all kinds of stuff. I thought, wow. So I think they really have um, soil that's good up there I guess I don't know so anyway but we've been talking about the spirit formed life and the different disciplines of our life as Christians and um, you know the life uh, of a disciple of Christ a, a Christ follower we follow him we follow after him and he he has a way of doing and being it's not legalism but it's a way we we follow Christ. When you're a disciple, you sit at his feet. You learn of him. You follow him and learn, and he teaches us his ways. Remember his disciples said, teach us how to pray. He's taught. Disciples are ones that are taught, and then we follow. You know, the spirit form life is living an abiding lifestyle that learns God's grace and lives Christ's life principles in the here and now. So we learn his grace, but we live out his principles. You know, and we're to make disciples of others. You know, that's what the Bible tells us, to go and make disciples. And so to teach others, to share what we know, to give what we've been given You know, the call to be a disciple is ultimately, it's a matter of Christ in us, that hope of glory that's in us. That's the Christ-formed life. And the disciplines that we're talking about help us to experience ongoing transformation into the image of Christ. We just walk close to him. We abide in him. We, We read his word. We allow his word to get in us. And we just look more and more like Jesus. We act more and more like Jesus. And so far we've studied three disciplines. And the first one was as a disciple of Christ, disciplines that help us to grow in Christ, that um, I would say just assist that formation of Christ in us. And the first one that we talked about 
was committing to hearing God's voice because you need to hear him to go where he goes. To follow him, we need to hear his voice. So making a commitment to hear, to listen for God's voice, to tell him, you know what? I don't want to make decisions on my own. I want to hear your voice. And the second discipline that we talked about was living in the power of water baptism. The Lord told us to be water baptized. And we talked about all of the things that that shows us in the word, all of the uh, the things that it illustrates and happens and from, um, of course, it's a outward demonstration of what's happened in us, but it portrays the, the burial and then the resurrection of the new life, the deliverance of the Israelites coming through the Red Sea. That talks about they were baptized in the Red Sea. It speaks of a deliverance. So when we're water baptized, as the Lord tells us to be, many things happen in our lives and begin and just continue throughout life. And we just step out in obedience. And do what he's asked us to do. You may not understand everything here. Guess what? You don't have to. Just do what he tells us to do. Um, In July, on the 28th, on that Sunday, we'll be baptizing. And so on the first Sunday of July, we'll have a little sign-up out there. If you would like to be water baptized, and we'll have a little form for you to fill out. Because we give out certificates when we water baptize here. And um, we were... uh, privileged and honored to water baptize Stephanie's daughter on Sunday. We have a pool in our yard that we put in when our kids were little. And so some of the things we've done in that pool are baptized. And so um, Tiana was going back to Canada on Tuesday, so we, she received the Lord on Sunday, and we were able to water baptize her. And so we were very excited about that and uh, thrilled with Stephanie and Greg, I know that is so exciting to them. And Tiana, she's just beaming and just the light of God just shining through. And we've known her, gosh, was I guess as long as we've known Stephanie and Greg and just watched her really come to the Lord, come to want to know the Lord. So it's been beautiful. And uh, we talked about baptism. I mean, she was here. I think she was here when we talked about water baptism. And she said, you know, she wanted to. So that was awesome. So tonight we're going to talk. And look at the fourth discipline of living a spirit-formed life. You know, we can have a flesh-formed life or we can have a spirit-formed life. You know, even if you have a flesh form, you'll still go to heaven. You're born again. Your spirit man's made perfect. But God wants that sanctification process to work where it's not only our spirit man, but this on the outside that we walk in him, we live and move and have our being. We walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. So we want a spirit-formed life, not a flesh-formed. And so tonight, the fourth discipline of living a spirit-formed life is walking in the spirit of forgiveness. You know, these are just real basic things, but they are so important. They are so uh, vital to our lives and our walk with God and our walk with others and our showing the love of God to others. And, you know, if, if you're all happy with everybody right now, you know, walking and forgives. Oh, yeah, yeah, I got that one down. But if there's anybody that's kind of, you know, then you're going to go, oh, we're going to talk about that. Because, you know, on just little happy sunny days, it's easy to walk in forgiveness. But on those days when little rain clouds come, With people carrying them, you know, things happen. We have to make decisions. Are we going to forgive? Are we going to, are we going to release? And so we're going to talk about that tonight and 
And I know, I know basically we know what, you know, we know what forgiveness is. But I just want to talk about it <clears throat> uh, out of Matthew 18 and, and just let's talk about it tonight. And we'll think about it and we'll pray at the end um, that if there's anybody we need to release that we'll do it, that we'll truly forgive and let go and let it drop. You know, in the Amplified Bible it talks about when you, when you come, when you, when you, if you have an offense, it talks about when you, when you come to the table, it says to let it go. And the Amplified says to let it drop. Release it. Let it drop. Let it go. Let it drop. And you know when you've let it drop and you know when you haven't. Anybody can, y'all, y'all know when you have. And you know when you have it. And you know when you let it drop and when it jumps back on you, right? <laughs> we know, don't we? <laughs> we got a witness. It, it does. So don't be discouraged when it tries to jump back on you because you can get it back off again. Just don't let it sit there. What makes it stay are thoughts and mulling over it, reliving it, rehearsing it. But we're just going to talk tonight. We're going to see it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And so we're going to talk about forgiveness. And it's a good subject. It's a good subject because it frees us and it frees others. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you, in me. And this is hard. It's perhaps not so hard to forgive a single injury, but to forgive the incessant provocations of daily life, to keep on forgiving the bossy mother-in-law, that's me, (laughs) To keep on forgiving the bullying husband, the nagging wife, the selfish daughter, the deceitful son, how can we do it? Only, I think, by remembering where we stand, by meaning our words when we say in our prayers each day, each night, forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. We are offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it means to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. You know, the Lord said to me one time, he said, if you want mercy, you will have to give mercy. Because, you know, it's real easy to want it. You want everybody to be nice to you. You want everybody to forgive you. And you want everybody to let it go for you. But when then they've done it to you, then you're kind of wanting to hold it and maybe exact a little something out of them. But if we want mercy, we have to give mercy. And we have to learn to let it go and give it to God and let him have it. It's, you know, it doesn't mean that what people do or have done or keep doing or did or whatever. It doesn't mean it was right. doesn't mean God likes it. doesn't mean we like it. But we are called to forgive because we are forgiven people. And we are called to forgive and to release it out of our keeping and into his keeping. I have found one of the things that helps me, and the Bible tells us to do this. It's not my notes, but the Lord's bringing it to me, to pray for those that persecute you. Amplified says to pray for those that despitefully use you. You know, don't you hate it if you think somebody's using you, you know. But you see. What does the Bible then say? We'll get back at them. We'll return evil for evil. No, the Bible says don't return evil for evil. You return good for evil. And the Bible says pray for those that persecute you, that use you, that hurt you, 
that do stuff to you. The Bible says to pray for them. And that is a really, that really um, helps the forgiving process when you pray for those that have done things. And y'all, you might think, well, I don't have anybody. Well, you will. <laughs> if you live this life, things are going to happen. And they can happen from the people that you think love you the blooming most. That would never hurt you or do that to you. Would never. Yeah, they would. And you know what? We would too. We may not do the same thing, but the Lord told me one time, he said, don't you think you've ever hurt anybody? You know, I'm not saying God doesn't say it to me mean, but God just has to say it to me because, you know, when you're hurt, you think you're the only one hurt. You ain't never, you would never hurt. You you wouldn't do. Yeah, yeah, we do. And we may not mean to. We may not, it may not even be intentional, but there's times when we have misunderstandings or or we say something that maybe came out in a way we didn't, didn't mean it that way, but... In times of life, we have hurt people. We've caused rejection. We've caused pain. You know, we've not responded in a way that somebody needed us to. So there's all kinds of things. Some of them are big, 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 big. And some are just little everyday things that that life brings. I think daily. I think it's, you know... (laughs) Give us this day our daily bread. You know, that's the Lord's Prayer when he talks about forgiving. I think that's a good prayer every day. Because every day, just come through with forgiveness. Just come through forgiving and releasing. You know, and Lord, if somehow inside I've held something, and I don't even realize it here, but maybe it's lodged in my heart, deep, plant, you know, just down in there. And, I, you know, just pray as the Lord taught us to pray each day. And that'll that'll take care of that. It'll just... Keep that house swept clean. The forgiveness of sin given freely to us in Christ through his atoning death and through his justifying work opens a fountainhead of grace that flows to us without measure. That's the truth. And that graciousness is a summons to every believer saying, Freely you have received, so freely give. It's a call which cannot remain unanswered, except at the expense of blockage or of bondage or the withering of the soul. You ever see people that you know have unforgiveness? It'll cause a blockage. It causes bondage. And it causes a withering of the soul. I can remember one time, man, it was a long, long time ago. I went with um, Wanda. That's Rick's mom. Y'all hear us talk about her. Um, She's my spiritual mother. And um, her neighbor wanted us. She was having problems with her eyes. And, And her neighbor lady wanted us to come and pray. And so Wanda and I went together to pray for this lady. And when we began to pray, I mean, I just hadn't thought of this in years. The Lord brought it to my remembrance as we're talking about this. And when we began to pray, the Lord put it on my heart that she was mad at somebody. That she had unforgiveness towards somebody. And so, um, you know, I mean, like, that's not like the easiest thing to say, you know. I mean, you're here. 
She's having trouble with her eyes, and we're there to pray for healing. And Lord's telling me she's got some unforgiveness. <laughs> and, and you know what that was doing? It was blocking her healing. One withholding wasn't withholding God's hand from her, but the enemy, it was letting the enemy in. And so I just said to her, I said, I'm just going to tell you what I feel like the Lord is saying. And I said to her, I said, I feel like he's telling me you're mad at somebody that you have unfree. And you know what? She did. And it was her husband. So anyway, so she got that. She prayed. She released, asked forgiveness, and we prayed for her. And her eyes got better, not instantly right then, but she just began to get better. But, you know, I don't know what God was after more. If he was after physical healing or, or her emotional, spiritual healing, you know, I don't know. But he's after it all because he wants to make us whole inside now. He wants us to have everything. Alan wanted to tell the people today what he wanted to get across to them. Because we think, you know, at a funeral, you think about uh, the sweet by and by, what it's going to be like in heaven. But, you know, we have a beautiful life to live here. Because he said, I came to give you life and to give it more abundantly. And life that you would enjoy it. You know, he didn't want us to be just barely making it through. He wants to give us a life that we enjoy. And, you know, a lot of that comes in our attitude. It doesn't mean that we have a million dollars or a big old honking house. That's not it. But when you have the joy of the Lord and the Spirit of God in you and you're living a thankful, grateful life, I tell you what, joy comes. And it just bubbles up out of you no matter no matter. what's going on because he's there and he's wanting to give us that joy-filled life. A spirit of forgiveness is a fundamental requirement for every disciple's life and learning. We see it all through the Bible about forgiving. We need to understand the power of a spirit of forgiveness and remember how much more God's mercy has been shown to us than we will ever need to show to someone else. Our sins that have been forgiven are more than anything we would ever need to show to anyone else. When you put it in perspective, it helps us. helps us to forgive. It helps us to remember who we are without his forgiveness. So I want to read in Matthew 18, and I want to read a parable that I'm sure you're familiar with, that Jesus gave on forgiveness. And so we'll start in verse 21, and we will go all the way to 35. I'll read it out of the Passion, and then we're going to talk about it. We're going to take it apart, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. It says, when Peter approached Jesus, and he said, How many times do I have to forgive my fellow believer who keeps offending me? Seven times? And Jesus answered, Not seven times, Peter, but 70 times seven times. (laughs) And the lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. There once was a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the royal treasury. And he decided to settle accounts with each of them. And as he began the process, it came to his attention that one of his servants owed him $1 billion. Remember, this is in the Passion Translation. So he summoned the servant before him and said to him, pay me what you owe me. That's what the king's telling his servant. And when his servant was unable to repay his debt, the king ordered that he be sold as a slave along with his wife and children and every possession they owned 
as payment toward his debt. And the servant threw himself face down at his master's feet and begged for mercy. Please be patient with me. Just give me more time and I'll repay you all that I owe. Upon hearing his pleas, the king had compassion on his servant and released him and forgave his entire debt. No sooner had the servant left when he met one of his fellow servants who owed him $20,000. That's not uh, anything compared to a billion, is it? (laughs) He seized him by the throat and began to choke him and say, You'd better pay me right now everything you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at his fellow servant's feet and begged, Please be patient with me. If you'll just give me time, I'll repay you all that is owed. But the one who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison and demanded he remain there until he repaid the debt in full. And when his associates saw what was going on, they were outraged and went to the king and told him the whole story. And the king said to him, you scoundrel, is this the way you respond to my mercy? Because you begged me, I forgave you the massive debt that you owed me. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed to you? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debt was repaid. And in this same way, my heavenly father will deal with any of you who do not release forgiveness from your heart toward your fellow believer. And so I want to talk about... Take these and take this apart and look at it and talk about what, what happened here, which, I mean, a lot of it is obvious, but we want to talk about it. In the first verses, in 21 and 22 of Matthew 18, when Peter is asking how often he should forgive um, the one that just keeps, you know, hurting him and rejecting him or doing those things, and he says seven times, when he says that, He thought he was being generous when he said seven times because seven times was twice more than anything that Peter had ever been taught. Because the rabbis of the day taught that God himself um, did not forgive more than three times. And what they based that on was the interpretation of Amos' prophecy in which God said he would judge the nations for three transgressions and for four. And that's in Amos and in various verses there. And so the ancient teachers concluded that if God Himself comes down heavy on the fourth violation, the teachers of the law had no obligation to be any more patient than that. So seven times seemed very generous to Peter. But Jesus comes back, of course, with that stunning statement in which He basically tells Peter, Stop counting. Quit counting, Peter. (laughs) The Lord's declaration of 70 times 7 obviously is not a recommendation to set up like a transgression scoreboard and you you mark every time you're forgiving until you get to 490. That's not what the Lord's saying. He's saying, forgive. He's calling us to forgiveness as a way of life. He's calling us To the spirit of forgiveness. Jesus' disciples are called to a lifestyle of forgiveness. That's us. We're his disciples. 
It's a principle of discipleship. It's what disciples learn as we sit at his feet. And this principle is rooted in the lesson that because we've all been so greatly forgiven, we are logically obligated to be forgiving. We are instructed in the word to be forgiving. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this, He's invoking this principle upon all of us who have been born again into his kingdom of love. Because that's what he said. This is what the kingdom is like. This is how the kingdom operates. And you know what? We're in the kingdom. When you're born again, you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You live in a kingdom right now, the kingdom of God. You need to see yourself living in his kingdom. And we live by the ways of the king. Then in verses 23 through 27 of Matthew 18, the parable shows just the great amount of money owed by the first servant. It was an unpayable debt. That man would never have been able to pay that back. He couldn't hope to pay it off. And that part of the story shows our own lostness, And being able, not able to pay at all, to repay our debt of what we owe. We could never repay. We could never make it right with God. Apart from his forgiveness, we're lost. Apart from his grace and mercy, we're doomed. And so God made that payment on our behalf and it is ours to receive in this world today. Granted, some don't receive it. The master's initial, the king, he was a king or the master, the initial decision, remember at first, the first man that owed him so much, he was going to sell him and his whole family and all his possessions into slavery. Bless you. (laughs) He was going to sell them into slavery because that was the way they did it back in that day. You know, Slavery throughout the Bible. People were sold into slavery, you know, all the time. And that was that way. And so that's what the king was going to do at first, was sell the man and his whole family into slavery and his possessions. But it's not intended to be a picture of God's way of handling our indebtedness. But Jesus uses the custom of his day to show the destructive potential of human helplessness outside of his grace. We would be just sold, not sold, but just into the slavery of the enemy were it not for God's forgiveness and his grace toward us. We would be lost forever had Jesus not come to undo what Adam did in the garden. And that was our place. And that's where we were before we received Jesus. You die in your sins. You die separated. You die without the mercy. You die without the debt being paid. But the Lord's in his grace. And the total and complete wiping away of all indebtedness, the freeing of the man in response to his cry, and by reason of his master's compassion, is a dramatic statement of God's forgiveness to us through Christ. When we look at that parable, the Lord's showing us what he has done. Our impayable 
debt has been forgiven. And we have been released. We haven't been sold into slavery. We've been released. As we receive that grace, we are released. And so the servant is freed. You see him in this spirit. He's freed. And like our freedom in Christ, his freedom was what? It was complete. It was undeserved. It was restorative. He didn't lose his family. He was restored. He just, he was sent on his way. He was, he was free. It was a complete thing that the king did. It's complete what God has done. And so then, we come to the verses where the man who's been forgiven, now it's his turn. And so in verses 28 through 30, we see the servant who was forgiven all of that debt, the billion dollars, refusing to forgive a small debt that was owed to him and refusing to give the man time to repay and insisting on throwing him into debtor's prison, a place where, you know what, that jailed man would not be able to do anything to change the financial facts of his circumstances. If he's in there, he's not going to be able to be making money to try to pay his debt back or do anything he could do. So that that servant that had him thrown in there just bound him because he couldn't he would never be able to repay. He imprisoned him. In this part of the parable, Jesus illustrates the way that unforgiveness freezes the relational possibilities between us and those we don't forgive. It stops the relationship. It freezes it. It keeps it from healing. It keeps it. There was nothing. This man thrown into the prison, that man refused to forgive. And so throwing him into prison, it stopped everything. That one man wasn't going to get paid back. That one man was going to be away from his family, wasn't going to serve. Do you see? So his unforgiveness did that. And our own unforgiveness does the same things in our lives, in our relationships, when we don't forgive. When we lock away any present problem or stress between us and another, nothing can change. Nothing can be healed. We just lock it away. And I know it's difficult. I know, you know, it's hard. But God can help us. He can help us. And, you know, this dynamic of locking away or just putting that person in debtor's prison or just putting them over there in a way... This dynamic is lived out every time we react to an attitude or a deed that hurts us. And we bind the person to it. Or you could say that we decide, if that's the way they're going to be, then that's the way I'm going to be. And you know what? That's what, that's what the enemy wants. He wants us to begin to form those attitudes of unforgiveness in our hearts. He wants us to begin to just... Uh, put them in debtor's prison, and not let them out. I know this is not the most favorite subject on earth, but I'm going to tell you it will free you and help you if there's anybody in here that needs to forgive somebody and consider how much your debt was and it has been forgiven, completely wiped away compared to what someone owes you. It's just so important. The forgiven servant in the parable totally, he was totally forgot 
or ignored the enormity of the forgiveness that had been shown him. The one that had been forgiven the billion-dollar debt totally forgot. Is it hard for us to imagine? I mean, are you sitting here kind of thinking, wow, that, that's really hard to believe that he didn't think about what all he had been forgiven when you think about it. And when I look at it and I read it, I think, wow. But how many times, because I've been forgiven a billion-dollar debt, how many times have I not forgiven immediately? Or maybe still not. But yet I have been forgiven that, but yet I have refused to forgive. And you know, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody's coming to ask you for that forgiveness. It's a work in the heart. It's what's going on in us that, that affects us. And it'll affect those around us. It'll affect that man jails another servant who ought to have been given the same wealth of forgiveness that he had received. He needed to see himself as being freed to free others, but he didn't. And last in verses 31 through 35, Jesus concludes the story with a two-edged truth. First, he uses the action taken by the master of the servants to show both what unforgiveness does and does not do. When the merciful king learns what the forgiven servant has done, he's mad. He's enraged. And he delivers that man to be tortured until he should pay all the original debt. So the one that refused to forgive, the king was so mad about that, and he took him and he said, you go to the debtor's prison. The king didn't say he'll be sold into slavery. He didn't say he'll go into endless poverty. He didn't say that. He said he'd go into debtor's prison. And so Jesus doesn't say that if we're unforgiving, that it reverses our salvation or that it returns us to a course leading to eternal judgment. He's not saying that because he didn't take that man that was refusing to forgive and sell him into slavery, into bondage. He, what he does say, though, as it relates to psychological, physiological facts, that we know about human beings, what we know about unforgiveness. As surely as torturers, and literally it's bill collectors, as surely, anybody been tormented by a bill collector ever? (laughs) You don't have to raise your hands. Uh, As surely as torturers, bill collectors, will regularly exact payment from the unforgiving servant from now on, the one that refused to forgive, So the spirit of unforgiveness takes a sure and torturous toll on our bodies and our souls. And that's what the Lord's trying to show us through this parable. When we don't release people in forgiveness, you don't lose your salvation. But you are tortured by the enemy and it brings a toll on your body, on your soul, on the joy in your life, on how you live your life and the effects of it. Doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists all have noted that the vast majority of human ills, not all, not all, are related, though, to repressed attitudes of bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness, hate, 
anger, self-pity, and self-centeredness. And that's the truth. That's the truth. That's what happens when we live like that. All of these converge in the picture of unforgiveness Jesus draws. The price is clearly taught. Unforgiveness exacts a toll on our lives, our bodies, our relationships. For as long as we carry that wearisome spirit, it's going to exact that toll. The second truth that we see from this parable has to do with the second servant that is still in debtor's prison. He's the one that the unforgiving servant put into debtor's prison. This servant situation didn't have anything to do with his relationship with the king. It was servant to servant. One servant didn't forgive another servant. His imprisonment, remember, was the result of the dispute that was strictly between him and the unforgiving servant. Where are we placing our fellow servants? Do we allow them within the circle of forgiveness we have received? Or are they left on the outside? Or do we put them? So this is like believer to believer is what this is a picture of. Do we reserve our rights? Administering our own private counter judgments, our retaliations? Do we insist on returning something of unforgiveness as payment in kind for the injustice? the unkindness, the rejection, or the disfavor that we have been shown. The mandate to become forgivers as we have been forgiven is absolute for us as disciples of Jesus. We're called to never withhold a spirit of forgiveness toward anyone else. Jesus wouldn't want that. He taught it. He demonstrated it. And you know what? He can break away any bond of unforgiveness that we invite him to shatter. He'll break them and he'll shatter them off of us. And you know what? You can say, Lord, by your grace I can do it. So I just want us to pray. If there's anybody that the Lord brings to mind, I'm just going to ask him if there's anything in our hearts where we would have anything where maybe, you know, just a little area we've reserved of punishment. (laughs) I don't know. But God wants us well. (laughs) He wants us whole. He wants us to walk in all that He has. And part of it is walking in a spirit of forgiveness. And I will say, too, forgiveness not only goes out toward others, but I believe it goes toward yourself as well. Sometimes you hold yourself in prison. You put yourself in the debtor's prison, and you won't let yourself out because you, you're, you didn't do things right. You, didn't, you should have known better. You, should, you do know better, and you should have done better, but you didn't. So, Father, I think it's release night. I thank you that... Uh, Just like uh, when Paul and Silas were in those shackles and they just began to praise you and glorify you, Father, those shackles fell off. And, Father, as we invite you to look into our hearts, we open our hearts to you and say, Father, 
If there's something in us, if there's someone in us that's still in a debtor's prison that we've put there, maybe we forgot we put them there, we didn't realize we put them there, we, we act like we didn't put them there, but we did, God, I thank you for the keys of forgiveness to go and unlock those doors and open that door and let them walk out free and forgiven and released out of our keeping and into your keeping. Father, if things need to be dealt with in those areas, Father, we turn them to you and ask you to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with, Father. Yours is vengeance, it says. And we're not speaking vengeance on them, but we're just that just tells us that you take care of things, Lord, and you, you work things out. So, Father, those of us that you're speaking to us, if, if someone comes to mind or... or uh, someone's face comes to our mind, Father. May we just see ourselves taking the key of forgiveness and just unlocking that door, that, those bars that they're behind, and, and allowing them to walk out. Father, letting the hurts and the rejections and the misunderstandings and, the um, Father, just the things that happened around those situations, the rejection, the betrayals, The disappointments. All of those things. When they, when they were acted in ways that they should never have acted toward us, Father. Not even saying what they did. It wasn't right. It was things they shouldn't have done. But God, we want to go free. And we unlock them. And we pray for them and we say, Father, may they come to you. May they come to know you. May they walk in freedom that you have for them, Lord. May they be healed in their souls, Father. We ask you to bless them and turn their lives around, Father. And, Father, as we do that, I thank you that the same keys that frees them comes back to our own hearts. Because when we don't forgive, we're imprisoned as well. And the same keys of forgiveness come to unlock our prison doors. And, Father, we step out into the complete forgiveness that you have, forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, letting it go, letting it drop, putting it into your care, Father. We just thank you tonight for setting us free, making us new, healing our bodies. Maybe our bodies have been sick or haven't felt well or, or maybe we've been down or depressed or sad or, or I don't know. But God, just I thank you for not only physical healing, spiritual healing, but emotional healing now coming as we walk free. We speak forgiveness. We speak release. We speak it. And we say, I forgive you. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Father.